What I appreciate about AIT is that it really is advanced and integrative. It absolutely builds into the model the medical part, the psychology part, the spirituality part, all of it's in there. And there's no exiling of any part of our human or divine experience in the healing process. Welcome back to the Essentially You podcast, all about reinventing your health with safer, cheaper, more effective natural solutions and powerful lifestyle changes so that you become the CEO of your health. I am your host, Dr. Marisa Snyder. Here is a powerful truth. We are all dealing with trauma, whether it is a big trauma that we experience as children or even as adults, or the micro trauma that adds up over time. But here's something that I didn't quite understand until recently. Not only have I experienced this with my readers and listeners, but I've experienced it in my own life. When trauma, no matter how severe, is left unattended to, it can spiral into all types of illness. I remember in the summertime this year, I was at an event at Mind Body Green's retreat, and Dr. Alyssa Rankin came up onto the stage and she began to speak about the root cause that trauma is in the body and how it manifests into disease. Whether it's a tumor or a flu or even an autoimmune disease. And when you think about an autoimmune disease, you have an immune system that is hypervigilant. But why? Could it be that your immune system is protecting you from the trauma? As I was sitting in that room listening to Dr. Rankin, I realized that my own autoimmune disease was driven by something deeper, from an old trauma that I had tucked very deep inside aha moment gave me the courage to ask Dr. Rankin if she would be willing to share her wisdom on the show. And although she said no at first due to her book creation process, over the weekend we spent more time together and she said yes. Now before we jump into this powerful conversation, which may be a little too woo for some, I want to let you know that Dr. Alyssa was at a remote location when we recorded this and she had to call in from her phone. So the sound quality on her end isn't the very best, but I know that you are gonna love what she has to say. And I believe it's absolutely worth listening to, especially if you or someone you love has been impacted by trauma. Now that I've informed you about this little hiccup, I wanna take a moment and celebrate you. One particular healing rock star is Samantha. And I'm excited to shout out her win that she shared on Instagram just a couple days ago. Dr. Marisa, I honestly almost gave up on my body. I had been sick for so long and I struggled to get a diagnosis for over five years. The episode with you and Palmer Kippola opened my eyes to a strategy for healing my body that I didn't even know was possible, although I didn't even have a diagnosis. I bought both of your books and I have completely changed my diet, lifestyle, everything. My inflammation has gone down. My face isn't as red and puffy anymore. My hair is growing back and the pain I was dealing with is almost gone. I found a functional doctor in my area and now that things have calmed down in my body, I am ready to go back and get more testing. Thank you so much. Please keep the interviews coming. Well, thank you so much, Samantha. I know it takes a lot of courage and bravery to share that story. Thank you for sharing your big win. And finally, feeling like you have made progress, a cornerstone in your healing journey. I am absolutely holding space for your healing miracles. 
If you're listening, Samantha, I would love to gift you a Superwoman blend because you already have a copy of the Essential Oils Hormone Solution. This blend is what I've used in all different times in my life in the last couple of years, especially when I've been on my own healing journey. And I hope that it serves you as much as it served me. Feel free to reach out to me on Facebook or on Instagram where we connected so I can get you that blend in the mail. Now, if you are listening, I just want to say welcome to today's show. This podcast is all about empowerment. And if any of these episodes have helped you in any way, I would love to shout you out as well. You can reach out to me via Instagram, Facebook, or simply review this podcast on iTunes or whatever podcast platform you love to plug into. That way, not only can I continue to support you in knowing how to support you based on your journey, based on your testimonial, but also to help other women open the door to true healing miracles. Speaking of true healing miracles, I want to dive into this incredible conversation with Dr. Alyssa Rankin. But before that, I want to quickly sing her praises. Dr. Alyssa Rankin is a New York Times bestselling author of The Daily Flame, Mind Over Medicine, The Fear Cure, and The Anatomy of Calling. She is a physician, a speaker, founder of the Whole Health Medicine Institute, and the creator of The Daily Flame, and she's a mystic. And you'll get to a sense of that today. Passionate about what makes people optimally healthy and what predisposes them to disease, she discovers that connecting with your inner pilot light is essential to optimal health and making your body right for healing miracles. Dr. Lissa has starred in two national public television specials. Her TEDx talks have been viewed by over 4 million people, and she leads workshops both online and at retreat centers like Esalon and Omega. Let's welcome her on. Welcome to the Essentially You podcast, Dr. Alyssa Rackin. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you. Oh my gosh. It's so wonderful to have you here. You have been such an inspiration for my work and research and the approach that I take with women's healthcare. I just love that I get to interview you today. What I wanted to do, we're going to talk a little bit about trauma. We're going to talk about some of a lot of your zone of geniuses. But what I want to first start with is exactly how you created that zone of genius. So could you tell me a little bit about your journey into integrative healthcare or integrative medicine and the work that you are doing today? Because I know it has been quite an evolution. Oh, absolutely. Well, I come from a very conventional background. Sometimes I look at my journey and I think, gosh, like if you could have chosen the person least likely to wind up with my job, <laughs> it would have been me given my upbringing because I come from a world where I had, you know, sort of fundamentalist Christian parents. And my father was a very conventional, skeptical, hard nosed scientist physician who was allergic to anything woo. <laughs> so in my upbringing, like science and spirituality were absolutely separate and never the twain shall meet. And anything that even resembled an intersection between the two was viewed as sort of nonsense at best and the work of the devil at the worst. So it's been a really quite uh, interesting and disruptive journey for me because I too came from a, a background as a physician. I trained at sort of the ivory towers of academia like Duke University and Northwestern where, again, the work that I'm doing now really has not been integrated into the mainstream at all. And so I wound up practicing as an OBGYN for eight years in a very conventional sort of hospital practice, and I couldn't handle it. I wound up 
on seven medications by the time I was 33. I was told that I would need those medications for the rest of my life by my physicians, and I believed them because I believed in conventional medicine. But by the time I was pregnant with my daughter, 24 weeks along in my pregnancy, I was floridly suicidal and couldn't cope with what my job was requiring of me. And I didn't have language for it back then. Now Harvard doctors are calling it moral injury, which is a term that was used for PTSD war veterans who have sort of come back from war where they were doing their job and they were doing what was expected of them, but they were violating their integrity in the process of doing their job. And I was violating my integrity in the process of doing my job, and it was literally killing me. So I, I remember when I was like on the floor of the bathroom, as so many people seem to have their epiphanies, when I heard this voice that said, sweetheart, you're going to have to quit your job. And I didn't know what the voice was. I had never heard a voice like that talking to me in the middle of the bathroom. And, you know, all of my resistance showed up in response to that voice. First of all, who's this? Who's talking to me? Of course, I can't quit my job. My husband doesn't work. I'm pregnant. I'm the breadwinner. I, got, I went to school for 12 years. I still have medical school debt. Like, how would I ever pay the bills? This is the only thing I'm trained to do. And the voice came back and said, you don't have to do anything right now. All you have to do is make peace with what's true. Mm. So I wrote a whole book about how I, like what happened from that moment to now called The Anatomy of a Calling, because it's been a very mystical journey and very much spiritually guided. And that voice kind of took over and started, yeah, started giving me orders. <laughs> and at first I was terrified to follow the orders. And now I, I like to joke that I, I used to have blind trust and now I have evidence-based trust and I like evidence because now, you know, that's been 12 years ago and 12 years of learning to follow what I came to call my inner pilot light has completely reorganized my entire life and my entire worldview and certainly the way I view health and healing and medicine. So I wound up taking two years off thinking, yeah, I had no idea what I was going to do. I quit my job. I went, wound up $200,000 in debt because I had to pay to buy my freedom to pay a malpractice tale. It's really complicated. You can't just quit your job as a doctor. At first I thought, I'm also an artist. I thought, well, I'll just be a full-time artist. And, and something was definitely missing when I was just in my art studio every day. And I realized that, no, I have this calling and you can quit your job, but you can't quit your calling. And so it became this journey to rediscover, well, what, what is my calling? I couldn't imagine going back to the hospital, but I had no experience or education in anything else. And one breadcrumb at a time is all I would get. I never got shown, like, this is the vision. Here's where you're going. And probably had I been shown, I would have said, like, hell no, because I'm super introverted. I do not like attention. If anybody had told me, I would be writing, you know, seven books and on the New York Times bestseller list and two PBS specials and four TED Talks. I've been like, hell no, I'm not, I'm not interested in being that person on the stage in front of 10,000 people at the Lincoln Center. And yet I wound up there. I would not have chosen this path, but I feel really grateful that I have had the opportunity to learn basically everything I should have learned in medical school. And so I, I founded an institute called the Whole Health Medicine Institute, which is a consciousness and healing training program for doctors. It began just for doctors, and then everybody with letters after their name got insulted. So now we opened it up to other healthcare providers as well. 
we have about 40 people on the faculty now who are everybody in the world of mind-body medicine and energy healing and shamanism and trauma therapy and sort of all of the modalities that other people are using with, you know, anecdotally interesting results with relationship to consciousness and healing the physical body. So that's kind of become my interest is sort of the mental, emotional, and spiritual healing aspects of medicine, not to dismiss at all what conventional medicine can do because it can be absolutely miraculous. I like to use the example of my ex-husband who cut two fingers off his left hand with a table saw. And thank God for modern medicine and microsurgery that he actually has 10 fingers. Like, I don't know. I've never seen a shaman do that. So I'm certainly not in any way against conventional medicine. But I think at least the way I was trained to practice was missing a huge piece. And we know that, you know, more than 90% of doctors' visits are related to stress. And yet, you know, we're not really talking about where the stress comes from. And most of it comes from trauma. So these traumatic patterns in our system that cause us to kind of keep recreating our worst nightmares and triggering the chronic repetitive stress responses in the body that deactivate the body's natural self-healing mechanisms. And we know the body has these natural self-healing mechanisms. They, it's in all of our physiology textbooks. We, we make cancer every day. We are exposed to pathogens every day. Our proteins break down. Cells need to be renewed every day. And the body knows how to do that. We sort of have this built-in body wisdom with this organizing intelligence that is intended to make sure that our health span equals our lifespan. But when we have trauma in our system and that trauma is firing these chronic repetitive stress responses, often coming from unconscious places in our awareness, like we're not even aware that we're thinking about it, but it's firing these stress responses that deactivate the natural self-healing mechanisms. And then we're predisposed to have health issues that arise before the end of our lifespan. And so that's what I get excited about facilitating. Thank you so much for sharing the start of your journey. And I want to spend a little bit more time. I think I have almost all the books and I thought about the podcast and what direction I wanted to go. But when I heard you speak at the Mind Body Green Summit and you were talking about trauma and how it manifests into if it's left unattended, no matter how severe it is, that it can spiral into types of illnesses. And I thought to myself, you know, I had I'd been diagnosed a year prior with uh, with Hajimoto's thyroiditis and and it immediately like hit me that oh my gosh, so much of the trauma that I haven't dealt with I had that moment when I knew that, oh my goodness, this was a manifestation of something so much deeper than I had an understanding of. So can you talk to me a little bit about not only in your own work, but what you see in terms of how trauma is manifesting? And I know that you talked about like little traumas versus big traumas. Do that? Do they even matter th- that we have? Sometimes people have bigger traumas than little traumas. So I'd love for ha- to have you unpack that as well. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny you just brought up Hashimoto's because I just did a training in advanced integrative therapy with AIT founder Asha Clinton, who is a 75-year-old therapist, social worker, 30-year Sufi mystic energy healer, Jungian analyst. She's kind of got all the, all the silos covered, and she created this trauma healing technique called AIT. And she and I were co-teaching to a group of doctors and therapists, and 
she did a demonstration for one of the therapists who had Hashimoto's thyroiditis. Like she was talking about a, a protocol in AIT called the multi-causal illness protocol. And just using a client as a demo to demonstrate how trauma can impact illness and how trauma treatment can lead to potentially radical remission. This woman had Hashimoto's thyroiditis and she did the AIT demo on her and her Hashimoto's is gone. She's not taking medication anymore. Her thyroid is totally normal. She was shocked and she stood up and gave a testimonial in our workshop because this therapist just could not believe, like it was not even on her radar that treating her trauma could get her off meds and make her use thyroid. It's just not something that mainstream medicine or mainstream therapy really puts together. And this is through getting to the root causes of what is interfering with the free flow of life force in the body, right? Because we know that the body has a kind of blueprint, right? It has sort of an optimal blueprint for the best state of your body. And that's going to be different between individuals, right? Maybe some people come in with a blueprint that has built into it some sort of disability, some sort of congenital deformity or some sort of genetic disorder or whatever. And, and we could get into the spiritual explanations of such things. And of course, I don't know why that happens. But in other words, maybe not everybody has a perfect blueprint. But there is sort of an optimal blueprint for each of us. And as long as the life force is moving in the body, then the body's wisdom or the sort of natural intelligence of the body will know how to distribute that life force to heal whatever might be getting out of whack. But when we have traumas in the system, that at an energetic level, these traumas can start to coagulate in areas of blockage of that sort of life force. And that can physically manifest as some sort of tumor. It can physically manifest in an organ system that can start becoming less functional. It can constellate as pain. But there are many different ways, of course, that these sort of stuck traumatic energies can crystallize almost in the body and interfere with that flow of life force. And then that can actually escalate over time. So as far as big or little traumas, there is such a thing as kind of, there is a dose response, right? So one person may be carrying a higher trauma burden than another person, depending on how much work they've done to clear and how much trauma they actually experienced. And when I talk about trauma, I always feel like it's important to distinguish between situational and developmental trauma, because most of us, when we think about trauma, we think of the big T traumas. We, we think of the things that in medicine we call the ACEs or the adverse childhood experiences. And these are things like growing up in a war zone or having parents that got divorced or being sexually or physically abused, having an alcoholic in the family, these sorts of things, being exposed to violence. These are the things that we would call situational traumas. I was held up at gunpoint by two masked gunmen. That would be, and I wound up with cardiac problems as a result of the PTSD that I experienced from that. That would be a situational trauma. But much more insidious and often much more corrosive are the developmental traumas that almost every one of us experiences. And these are what Buddhist psychiatrist Mark Epstein calls the traumas of everyday life. 
these are the traumas of, you know, being a baby in the crib crying for mommy when mommy is depressed and a bit neglectful. Or even if mommy just looks away, if the baby is is looking for like a bid for connection and mom is just checked out and she's not responding appropriately to the baby's bid for connection. As a mother, I hear things like that and I think, oh my gosh, how many times was I not there for my daughter in those little ways and have I saddled her with these traumas because mommy was a doctor and and stressed out and my father was dying and like all this other stuff was going on. That's normal. That happens to almost everybody. Nobody is a perfect parent and certainly nobody grew up with two perfect parents. There is such a thing as, you know, what the developmental psychologists call the good enough parent and the good enough parent will not leave a huge traumatic burden in a child But even still, even though those traumas may not be huge, even subtle developmental traumas will impact the system. So in my case, for example, I didn't have any of the ACEs. I didn't experience any big situational traumas until I was in my 20s. But I did experience a really significant developmental trauma around the the pattern in normal childhood development where the baby and the mom are sort of naturally symbiotic in the first nine months. And then the baby is supposed to be allowed to individuate, right? The baby becomes a separate individual, separate from mom, able to make their own decisions, starts getting defiant, starts rebelling, starts pulling away, all of that, right? We sort of do it in the terrible two phase, and then we do it again in, in, as teenagers usually, and that's normal. But I was in a relationship with a very controlling mother who wouldn't let me individuate, and I became symbiotic with my mother. I'm still treating my symbiosis wounds with my AIT therapist, who is Asha Clinton, the founder of AIT. Those patterns that come from just a mother who won't let go of control, who wouldn't let me make my own mistakes or make my own decisions, who was sort of controlling me with the religious dogma of the church and her own interpretation of that, that in and of itself is a really severe trauma, and that in and of itself can make you sick. So I always like to point that out because people don't realize almost everybody that I've spoken to had one parent, that, at least one parent that was trying to control them and prevent their sort of normal, healthy adulting, you know, as they individuate and become a grown human. I sit here and I just listen to people talk about their parents or their or their in-laws or whatever, and I'm like, wow, symbiosis is just rampant, right? We kind of make jokes about it, but it's so normal, and it's not normal. So it needs to be treated, or it can create blocks in the life force that can predispose us to disease. Hmm. And you're absolutely right. Like in some way, whether we had a parent that was controlling or we just didn't feel like our needs had been met in these micro moments that those things can exacerbate over time. Now, so often it's very unconscious. I don't think we even realize that that trauma is so much of what it is. And one of the things that you talk about, and I don't know if this is applying to trauma as well, but really the power of self-awareness, listening to that inner pilot light. Can we tune into that to see if trauma is one of the pieces that is rocking our physiology, it's having an impact on our health? We absolutely can. And there's another trauma healing method that I really love that is, is about exactly that. It's called Internal Family Systems, IFS was developed by Richard Schwartz, and Dick and I are actually going to be 
teaching together at the IFS conference in Denver in September. We're doing a whole pre-conference workshop on the implications of IFS in medicine because it's a trauma healing modality, but, you know, because they're therapists, they don't usually promote or, or sort of advertise that AIT or IFS can be used for medical treatment because there's so many sort of rules around practicing medicine without a license, right? But AIT is being very effectively used as cancer treatment. And IFS, they just did a study showing efficacy with rheumatoid arthritis. I think it's a really exciting sort of cutting edge place for medicine to start to investigate more, but there hasn't been a whole lot of data linking really effective trauma treatments with disease remission. And I think that's kind of what science needs to tune into because most of the trauma treatments that people have thought out in the past don't work. You can't treat trauma with talk therapy. Most trauma therapists are using, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy and at best maybe EMDR. But these cutting edge techniques are so much more advanced than that. I'm, I'm really hopeful that they become more mainstream so that more people are, are knowing that it's not just any therapy, that there are certain kinds of psychotherapy that actually clear the trauma. They don't just recycle the trauma or kind of hash out the trauma or kind of keep people in their victim stories, actually clears it from their energy system. So in the IFS model, this is a really, I love IFS. It's, very different than AIT. I, I love them both. I use them differently. And I wish the founders knew each other because I think there's a way to really integrate them. But IFS is based on the idea that we are not a unified self the way we think we are, but rather we are a multiplicity of parts. And the, basically, we all have sort of multiple personality disorder. And the difference between kind of People like Sybil from the movie with, you know, what we now call dissociative identity disorder and healthy people. The difference is that healthy people ideally have a leader of the parts, what I would call your inner pilot light and what Dick calls the self with a capital S. And so I like to think of it sort of like we're all kind of a school bus of parts, right? Like, you know, you probably can think of some of your parts off the top of your head. Like you probably have... Every New Year's resolution, for example, we have usually a manager part that is thinking that it's going to protect us by making a New Year's resolution to make us quit doing some bad thing, right? So, and, and it's sort of like, it's often a critical part, like an inner critic that's criticizing, we're eating too much sugar, you're drinking too much booze, or you're not working out, or you need to meditate, or whatever. And so it's sort of the drill sergeant part. And then there's the part that doesn't want to do the behavior, right? There's the part that's like, no, I don't like to meditate. No, I like drinking margaritas. No, I'm not going to quit sugar. I like chocolate. So those parts would be what Dick calls polarized parts, right? So you might have the critic polarized with the part that does the naughty thing. <laughs> so a lot of people are just blending with one part after the other, and they don't realize that there's an inner pilot light in there that can negotiate with and manage all of the parts as if it's an internal family. And so a lot of my meditation practice, for example, I do this every morning. I get up every morning. I go to my hot tub. I sit in my hot tub and I check in with my parts. How's everybody doing? I think of it like a parts conference, like we're sitting at a boardroom table or wherever the, the parts want to go. And we sit down maybe around a campfire and I say, how's everybody doing? Who wants me to know what's going on this morning? 
And I might have an anxious part that's like, ah, I don't know how we're going to pay the bills this month. Thank you for letting me know. Uh, I just looked at the bank account. There's plenty. But how about you let me know if the bank account gets less than 10000 right? Okay, who else has something they want to say? And then there's somebody that's upset about my husband. Okay, what do you want to say? What do you want me to know about your marriage, right? And I just kind of take inventory. And over time, you learn to become intimate with your parts, and they learn to trust that you've actually got the wheel of the bus, and they don't have to, like, hijack the wheel and drive you in a direction that might cause harm to you or other people. The beauty of this is that usually these protector parts, which come in two categories, one is called the managers, and the managers are preemptive. They're trying to avoid danger. So they're like the time manager part, the financial manager part, the inner critic, the perfectionist, the you know, all of those would be manager parts. And then that's kind of the first line of defense. And then underneath them are another type of protector that Dick calls the firefighters. And the, they're here to put out a fire because the managers failed and somehow something got through. And so the firefighters are what we would typically demonize or hospitalize or medicate or imprison or send to rehab. These are the parts that pretty much everything in the DSM-5 would fit under the firefighter types because you can even have like a suicide part, right? You can have an eating disorder part. You can have an addict part. You can have a rage part. Uh, you can have a sociopath part. But all of them are protecting what's underneath, which is the exiles. And the exiles are the traumatized, wounded, vulnerable inner children that are carrying heavy burdens of intense feelings, like desperate feelings, feelings that, that were too extreme at the time of the trauma for a little child to handle. Or maybe you can still have exiles that are in adulthood, something catastrophic could happen in adulthood that could create an exile, like being held up at gunpoint by two masked gunmen, that the intensity of those emotions might be too extreme to be able to move those emotions through and keep the life force going so they might get stuck in a traumatic situation as an exile. So the work of IFS is basically learning who the protectors are, earning their trust and getting them to relax so that you can go in and, and do what is called an unburdening of the exiles, where they're lit it's, really, it's really like a soul retrieval. If you've studied anything about shamanism, it's sort of the modern-day psychotherapeutic version of a soul retrieval, where you literally go and retrieve those parts that are stuck in time. Usually they can tell you exactly where they are, what the room looks like, what the feelings that they're feeling are, and those feelings will bleed through into you. Like you'll feel the feelings of those exiles, but you can negotiate with them so that you don't have to be flooded by those feelings. You're now an adult. You have an inner pilot light, and the inner pilot light or the self can be the witness for those really traumatized parts and kind of bring them out of that scene, let them unburden all of those intense feelings and extreme beliefs, because we often develop these sort of negative core beliefs as a result of these traumas. And you let all of those go and sort of bring them back under the parenting of the inner pilot light. So part of my morning meditation is to go in and check on my exiles that have had unburdenings done to make sure they're still doing okay. And they're not, they haven't gone back to the scene. They're 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 all sitting in the hot tub at, at Esalen. <laughs> like, that's where I put them. So I go check on them sort of in my mind's eye. 
at the hot tub at Esalen. So they like it there. And and I check in every morning and see if I, if anything needs tending. And sometimes new parts come up that I don't know. And I may need one of my friends who's trained in IFS or I just did actually last week, I did a session with Dick Schwartz himself because I had a really extreme part that came up and I wanted some professional help. So I think it's really exciting that we're developing these methods and that they're gaining more mainstream acceptance because, again, the beautiful side effect is not only is this great treatment for everything in the DSM, and that is evidence-based. These methods have been used to treat everything in the DSM. But now we're starting to see, oh, not only does it treat depression or anxiety or schizophrenia or addictions or eating disorders or PTSD, but it also treats illness at least some of the time. And that's pretty exciting to me. (laughs) That is super exciting. When it comes to these two different types of techniques, are there practitioners out there doing this work? I know that there's trainings. Are they easily accessible? They are. Okay. Yeah, they are. And most of them do remote sessions. So, you know, even if there's not a therapist trained in one of those methods in your neck of the woods, a lot of them will do sessions on, you know, Zoom or Skype or on the telephone. So you can find them both at the IFS website is selfleadership.org and the AIT website is AIT.institute, I think. And they both have sort of places where you can find practitioners. Oh, perfect. Yeah. And then we also have at the wholehealthmedicineinstitute.com, a lot of our practitioners have also been trained in some of these other modalities and they've been trained to practice the six steps to healing yourself from mind over medicine, which is kind of how I wound up studying some of these other modalities because I realized as in the work that I was doing with clients that I was sort of developing a method of my own, but I realized that there were ways to supplement the method that I was using with other kinds of, of healing work in, that, in ways that are very conducive to making the body ripe for miracles. And so, you know, discovering AIT and IFS, for example, was part of my seven-year journey that I've been on researching my seventh book, which is called Sacred Medicine. I haven't published this one yet. And it has taken me to the far reaches of the globe at 16,000 feet in the Andes, working with shamans in the Caros in Peru and working with Qigong masters from China and Balinese healers and Hawaiian kahunas and energy healers and faith healers and biofield scientists and trauma therapists in the U.S. And, you know, if you go far enough down the rabbit hole with any of those, they're all really doing the same thing. That's what I find interesting. And conventional medicine has not incorporated what these various modalities are doing in their healing work into how we treat cancer, for example. I've been on this journey for a long time. I sort of, I remember 10 years ago researching spontaneous remissions at the same time that Kelly Turner was studying for her PhD at UC Berkeley. And she was researching people who had had what she called radical remissions from stage four cancers that were either not treated by conventional medicine or were treated in a way that was deemed to be inefficient for cure and they were cured. And she wanted to figure out like, what are they doing? And of the nine factors that she ended up publishing in her book, Radical Remission, only two of them were the sorts of things that most people were talking about at Mind, Body, Green, Marisa, (laughs) right? Only two of them were things like radically changing your diet or 
taking an herb or a supplement that they believed might improve their chance for cure. But the other seven factors were all psycho-spiritual factors. So she and I sort of in our own independent research kind of came to the same conclusion, which is why Kelly and I wound up on that stage together teaching at Mind Body Green together because Jason, the founder of Mind Body Green, was saying, hey, you guys need to come and speak to the elephant in the room where we have a room full of health nuts who are all obsessing about, you know, diet, exercise, supplements, and kind of the microbiome, and nobody is talking about the thing that may impact our ability to live an optimally healthy long life the most, which is how much of the trauma burden in your system have you cleared in order to have free-flowing life force so that the body can heal itself. So that's what landed us there. That is incredible. And it wasn't a radical concept to me to hear that at Mind Body Green, but it was an aha moment where I was like, we need to be having more of these conversations. You know, I talk about trauma and chronic stress being root causes to disease, but not understanding all the manifestations or exactly what's going on. And so I was so happy to have you come on and talk a little bit about that. But then once we understand that, oh my gosh, maybe it is this trauma, like then how do we move forward? Because I know I hear so much about EMDR, but these new modalities, these cutting edge modalities are, are modalities that we just aren't hearing enough about just yet. And I think that they're, I hope, as you said, the research comes on in and more practitioners are trained on it, that we'll have, we'll even have more access to that. Well, there's lots of resources around IFS. If you go to the website, there's lots of books that have been written about IFS. There are referrals to IFS therapists. There's lots of videos that Dick Schwartz has done. I've written a blog about IFS. You can Google search Lisa Rankin and Internal Family Systems, and it kind of gives an overview of it. Dick's done an audio program with Tammy Simon for Sounds True called Greater Than the Sum of Your Parts. Part of what I like about both AIT and IFS is that there's a lot you can do for yourself, and you'll get better at it if you're working with a trained expert who knows how to use the model. But both of those models, and this is part of what attracts me about it, both of those models are models that do not create dependency. You're not dependent on your therapist to do this work. You just kind of go deeper with a therapist. But over time, like IFS is something I don't do with a therapist unless I have an extreme part that I can't handle on my own. Like that's why I call it Dick. So otherwise, this is something I can do every morning on my own. And same thing with AIT. AIT is a little harder for the mainstream to learn because there's just, I was just speaking with Asha about writing an AIT book because what AIT is lacking is kind of the vocal charismatic broadcaster like EFT has, for example, emotional freedom technique has Nick Ortner and Dawson Church and they're sort of promoting this modality, which I like AIT even better. It's in the same family as EFT, but it's far deeper. It's It's got a much stronger psychotherapeutic foundation from my understanding of it. There's not as much out there. You know, like EFT has the Tapping Summit and all of these books and, you know, lots of trainings and things like that. AIT doesn't have that yet. But it is, it's really impressive. What I appreciate about AIT in a way even more so than IFS, on this seven-year journey of researching sacred medicine, I have gone down the rabbit hole of many different disciplines who often stay in their silos. And many of them are sort of in academia, in their own department, for example. So you have medicine in the medical school. 
and they're not interacting with the therapists that are in the psychology department. Well, you know, you have to walk like 300 feet to get from one to the next. (laughs) Right. And they're not interacting with the biofield scientists who are studying the cutting edge biology and physics of the quantum world as it relates to the physical body, right? There's a whole science around that as well, but they're in their own department and they're not talking to the people in the divinity school who, you know, are studying spirituality and various religious traditions. And there's not even a place in the school for the energy healers or the shamans, maybe in the anthropology department, right? So none of these people are really talking to each other and there's not much overlap. And so what that means is that most of these silos have blind spots. So for example, medicine has a massive blind spot around the role of psychology and spirituality in optimizing health outcomes. Psychology, traditional psychology, has a massive blind spot around spirituality because it's sort of separated and it's made secular. And they're not thinking of psychotherapy as a medical treatment. If you go into the spiritual realms, you start talking to the gurus and the people in the spiritual circles, right? And these gurus, I know because I interviewed many of them, they are not taking care of their bodies at all. They're doing the total spiritual bypass. I am not my body. And they're in this sort of Advaita Vedanta, like transcended state where I am more than my body. They're hacking up a lung and like coughing up blood. And I'm going, no, actually, you are a body. (laughs) So they have a big blind spot around the importance of embodiment, many of them, and the importance of things like basic good nutrition. And you still have to get out and move your body, even if you're a guru. And they often also have blind spots around psychology, which is why we're getting all these Me Too violations aimed at spiritual teachers and energy healers like John of God, who's now in jail for, you know, 500 accusations of inappropriate sexual behavior. So what I appreciate about AIT is that it really is advanced and integrative. It absolutely builds into the model, the medical part, the psychology part, the spirituality part, all of it's in there. And there's no exiling of any part of our human or divine experience in the healing process. It's all part of it, including like some people have to have spiritual traumas treated before AIT can be really effective because some people like me had like post-traumatic church syndrome, you know, or people had terrible things that happened when they were children and they decided they made negative core beliefs early on that there couldn't possibly be a God because if there was a God, then none of this could have been happening. So often those early traumas around spirituality need to be treated before you can actually use a spiritual healing method to treat something. It goes deeper and deeper. But it it really is a spiritual path. Both IFS and AIT are also spiritual paths that happen to heal trauma and incidentally cure illness. (laughs) So I think that's pretty cool. I think that is so cool. Now, just opens us up for so much. But where can we find you? Because I feel like you have such powerful resources to really plug us into thinking about the spiritual integration and how to really get to that. The concept of connecting into our inner pilot is just so profound to me. You have, I know you have an inner pilot website that we can go and check out. Anything that we should be looking at there? Yeah, absolutely. So innerpilotlight.com is where you can sign up for the daily flame. This is 
we just had our 10-year anniversary after my inner pilot light told me that uh, I had to quit my job. I started a daily practice where I would sit down and I would just ask my inner pilot light, what else do you want me to know? And I would write, something would come through. And I'm, I've been writing my whole life. So I have my, you know, my 100,000 hours in writing. So writing is like a really easy access point for me. And so I would just sit down and something would come through. And I started sending some of these letters that I was writing because I think it's time. It's time for cross-pollination, sort of letting go of our own attachment to our own egos or our own, this is mine, and starting to come together to co-create healing modalities that will transform how we're practicing medicine. Because from my understanding, like, Things like drugs and surgery should be the last resort or the first resort in acute trauma. Like if I'm in a car accident and my body is in pieces, please take me to a level one trauma center where they can put my body back together again. But then get me into these other kinds of healing modalities as soon as I'm in rehab, you know. But other sort of chronic illnesses, these should be the first line of treatment. And things like drugs and surgery and other sort of invasive procedures should be the last resort after these methods fail. But that's not how we're seeing it. But I think we're in the process of kind of turning medicine upside down. It's happening. It's slowly, surely. Yeah, it's happening. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for sharing your wisdom. Thank you for sharing all of the resources. And you're right, sharing other resources out there that you're not only a part of, but that that you know are serving people. And I think that's, you know, when you have somebody who is really out there to serve this world, ego goes aside, right? You're, you're just what is working to put that out into the world. So I just want to say thank you for that. Yeah. And there'll be more of that in my book, Sacred Medicine. I'm like 350 pages into writing it at this point, but I haven't, I haven't even sold it yet because I want to make sure that I can pull it off. It's such, I've, I've bitten off such a big mission uh, to try to do justice to this material in a way that does not exaggerate it at all and does not do a disservice to it or harm it in any way. But it's really quite, it's a quite big Like I thought mind over medicine, I kind of joked that I should have gotten my PhD for that. It was like really working on a PhD thesis, but this is even more so that way. I feel a bit overwhelmed by it, but if I'm going to be releasing a lot of this material in sacred medicine, but we're also starting next month in the healing soul tribe, I'm going to be giving the people in the healing soul tribe kind of early material. So they're going to be the first to, because it'll probably be at least two years before the book is published. But I, I don't want my community to wait that long. So we're gonna, I'm going to start revealing some of what I've discovered because my goal in writing that book was to try to find the patterns of like, because I've interviewed hundreds of healers. And what are the things that we can sort of boil it down and see that, that there's commonalities between them that we can either do ourselves or that we can incorporate into conventional medicine And so each chapter in Sacred Medicine has sort of do-it-yourself practices that I've called from things like working with shamans in Peru. Well, you know, for people who can't go to Peru and work with a shaman, what can they do at home? For people who can't afford to go to an AIT therapist, what can they learn from a book? So I'm in the process of all of that. But I also blog about a lot of these things on my blog. So if people are interested, make sure you're on my newsletter because I put out material periodically when I discover a new method that I think might be helpful. And part of the six steps to healing yourself that I teach in Mind Over Medicine is really just being exposed to these tools in the medicine bag so that you can intuit which tool might be the next right step for you. And there are many tools in the medicine bag, many that I haven't even mentioned today. 
but you know, a lot of people don't even know they exist. So that seems to be part of my mission is to kind of be a broadcaster who lends credibility to some of these less known modalities and helps uplift these bodies of work from these beautiful creatures who have spent 30 years developing bodies of work that a lot of people still haven't heard of. I love it. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much for coming on. It has been such a blessing to have you here today. Girl, you are just a a bundle of all kinds of (laughs) This is why I don't do like TED Talks anymore because it's really hard to boil anything down into 18 minutes. You know, it's like sort of all over the place. So I have a bit of professional ADD. (laughs) Well, I just appreciate it so much. (laughs) Yeah, I'm (laughs) multi-passionate. Well, thank you so much, Lisani. All the links will go up, especially the links to to the two sites that you talked about for yourself. I want to make sure that everyone has your resources, but also the resources of the trauma work as well. So thank you. Great. Yes, my pleasure. Wow. What a story and a journey. I can't imagine what Dr. Lissa's life would have been like had she not listened to that inner pilot, that inner wisdom, that inner voice that day on the bathroom floor told her to quit her job. Our inner wisdom and intuition is the best tool that we have for tuning into our body and into our calling. It's not a voice we listen to enough, and Lissa clearly knows that. I want to invite you to grab her incredible resource that she brought and talked about here on the show. I love the concept of creating and tapping into that inner pilot, but also understanding ways in which to listen to that so that you're more in tune with your own healing miracles. You can go and check out these resources at innerpilot.com. The links will also be in the show notes for episode 123. Note that she also does her daily flame. She's going to have awesome downloads and all kinds of goodies so that you really feel like you've got a practical resource to connect in with that inner wisdom. I want to say thank you so much for stopping in and listening into the Essentially You podcast. On the upcoming episode, I am bringing on one of my besties who I miss dearly. She used to live in the same city as I do, but now she is all the way across the country. Brie Argetstinger. Now, Brie is also known as the Betty Rocker, and we're going to be talking about how to create a fit, healthy body and a life of self-love. You're not going to want to miss this episode because the way that Brie works is she is able to combine fitness, nutrition, and self-love into one in a really beautiful way that has you getting the results that you desire. So until the next episode with Brie and I, I hope that you're having a wonderful day.